Hey there. It's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in Lake Travis, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. We've been doing a series around here that we're calling Who Am I? And we've been asking these different questions. Who am I when I think I don't measure up? Who am I when I'm compared to others? Who am I when I feel alone? Who am I when I failed? Today, we're going to look at another question, and that is, who am I when I don't feel happy? And we're going to look at a guy by the name of Solomon, who is in the Old Testament of your Bible, who is one of the wealthiest people in all of history. But actually, before we look at what Solomon said, I want to actually look at what Jesus said. Look at this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. It says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. That word, bless... In the original Greek language that this was written in is the word makarios, which literally means you can have happiness. That's what it means. You can have happiness. Now, what he's talking about is not some sort of frivolous sort of happiness, but this happiness that is grounded. And so what is God saying here, here in this verse? Look what he says. So he's saying, the more humility that you have the more genuine, true happiness you will have. The more you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then the more exaltation, not worldly exaltation, but real, authentic exaltation will then happen in your life. Now, here in the U.S., I think we get this a little bit upside down. I think we get a little confused by this because happiness, when you think about it, is one of our inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's in our declaration of independence. Hey, by the way, happy Memorial Day, everybody. All of you veterans, retired and active, anybody in here in the audience that are veterans, would you stand to your feet if you're a retired or a current veteran? Uh, come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet, everybody. Amen. Just so, so grateful. I think we take it for granted, just the life that we are able to have because of the men and women who have gone before us and, and plowed a way for us. And when we think of this issue of um, happiness, you know, I just think it's kind of like what we do with all of our, our American life. We just feel like it's our right. It's our right to be happy. But there's a Harris poll that says that only 33% of the population actually say they're really happy. <laughs> only 33% of the people actually say that they're really happy. And so the question becomes... If happiness is something that we're supposed to pursue, if happiness is something that we all really want, then why is it that so few of us are actually experiencing it? I mean, when you think of happiness, why does it just seem like it's so hard to find? Why does it feel like it's just so elusive? Look at, look at what Solomon talks about here in Ecclesiastes. It's actually really the whole book. We're not going to go through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. But look at this in chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labor at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. Then the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they will return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. 
They, the eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied by mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that that too, this, that, that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow and more knowledge, the more grief. And he continues on this way. Actually, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is known as the diary of a billionaire because Solomon had everything. He, and he had lots of it. I mean, if he had money, I mean, this guy was a wealthy guy. He was the most influential and most powerful and the most prosperous king of all, of all, in all of Israel's history. And he wasn't just prosperous in and of himself. He caused his entire nation, the people around him, to also prosper. And so they all had what I think most people believe will make us happy. They, they, had, they had everything. Solomon himself had everything to the highest degree, and there was nothing that he didn't let himself be denied of. There was no pleasure that he denied himself of. I mean, if it was food, I mean, he had the, he was, I mean, really, he was the ultimate foodie. He had all the exquisite food, all the rare food, and, and he lavished himself with that. He threw the best parties with the most influential guests. He had the greatest atmosphere around him, people and servants who were waiting on him 24-7. People from all the world came to sit at his feet and to gain wisdom from him. Because if he had wisdom, I mean, if there was wisdom, he, he had it. He had by far the most lavish, the most ex expensive palace of anybody at that time. If he had romance and sex, I mean, he had it to the nth degree. I mean, he had 700 concubines and 300 wives. Try to figure that one out. And so by the world's standards, Solomon had it all and even more and more and more and more. And so maybe some of you are already starting to think this. Well, maybe if I just had some of those things, then I'd be happy. I mean, I don't need to be a billionaire. If I'm just a millionaire, then, then, that, then, then I'll, I'll be happy. Well, it's interesting because Solomon is telling us from the pinnacle of success and wealth especially in his day and age. There was nobody in the world that was of greater influence and greater success and greater wealth than Solomon was. And at that pinnacle, what he's saying here is that what you think will make you happy just doesn't deliver. Now, is there anything wrong with these things? I mean, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with these things, but what's wrong with it? And what Solomon is telling us for the book of Ecclesiastes, what's wrong is when you put your trust in those things, when you put your faith in those things, when you put your focus, when you put your happiness in those things, because happiness can be just so fleeting. For those of you who are millennials or, or younger, it's kind of like Snapchat. You know, so, you know, you got this great friendship, click. You go to this great event, click. You know, you have this great experience, you go, click. But then what happens on Snapchat? Anybody, anybody know what happens on Snapchat? It disappears. 
It goes out there, and then just a little bit, just like that, it disappears, and that's what happiness is like. I mean, it's just so fleeting. It's just, it's there, and then it's gone. So this is what Solomon's talking about. Look at this in verse 2 again. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Actually, 36 times in these 12 verses, Solomon uses that word meaningless. That word meaningless in the Hebrew language is the word habel, which means vapor or smoke or something that just doesn't last. He gets kind of a greater definition to it this way in verse 14. He says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And so he gives this idea that, 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 that these things, that this issue of meaningless is, is like trying to grab a hold of the wind. And you're running after it, and it's just always outside of your grasp. That's what he's talking about here. It's really kind of this, this picture of an empty well. And you drop your bucket into the well, expecting to be able to pull up water to satisfy your thirst. But when you roll the, the, the rope back up and you pull up the bucket, it's just, it's just empty. And this is what Solomon is talking about. He put his bucket into that well, expecting to get something out of it. He put that bucket into sex, expecting to get something. He put it into money, expecting to get something. He put it into food, into relationship, expecting to get something out of it that actually had meaning. But every time he pulled the bucket up, he goes, it's empty. It's habel. It's, it's meaningless. It's not fulfilling here. And so this is what Solomon is talking about through the book of Ecclesiastes. And really, the entire book of Ecclesiastes, like I said, it's this, it's this diary of a billionaire, one who keeps on saying, don't do what I did. <laughs> don't do what I did. It, it doesn't work. You, you're trying to put your happiness into these buckets. It's just, you're, it's going to be unfulfilling for you. And so the question I want you to think about for yourself is, what are you seeking to pull something from that can't deliver? I mean, what are you putting your focus on? What are you putting your hope in? What are you looking for to give you happiness? Now, jump to chapter 3 in Ecclesiastes. Solomon gives us just a little bit of hope. He has some understanding in all of this. He doesn't kind of leave us hanging and saying, okay, then what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to put my bucket here? You know, how am I supposed to live my life differently? Look at this in verse 10. It says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. If you're taking notes, if you're in your Bible, underline that phrase, he has set eternity in the human heart. Because now he's beginning to show us something about our human condition, how we are created. But first of all, let me kind of counter something here, because I think a lot of times people kind of get confused about this, because I think some people look at Solomon and say, okay, so Solomon, are you saying that the only way that I can actually have happiness is that I can only think about eternal things, I can't think about temporal things? I mean, is that, is that what you're saying? Solomon, is that, is that what you're telling me to do here? Because that just seems like a crutch. That just seems like we're trying to escape Let's get out of this world, let's escape, and let's get to heaven. It, it just kind of feels like that, kind of an escapist mentality. Solomon, is that what you're telling us? And the answer is no. That's not what Solomon is telling us about. What Solomon is talking about here, he's trying to get us an understanding of what we're supposed to focus on, how we're supposed to live our lives. It's this deeper understanding, really, of how the world works and how we are created and so Solomon says the reason why for so many of us, while happiness is failing us, is because we don't understand how we were created. We don't understand this aspect that God actually put eternity inside our hearts, and all these temporal things 
are never fulfilling. It's never going to give you the happiness, the satisfaction that you're looking for. Verse 11, he says, Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to, and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. And then he gives us the answer here. This is the gift of God. See, this is really important what he's talking about here because there's a bigger gift that we have to be able to receive in order to understand the meaning of our human condition. And I want to submit to you here this morning that our version of happiness, Solomon's version of happiness, is actually what keeps us lacking. It's what keeps us wanting, and ultimately, it's messing with your identity. Because true happiness is more than this elusive feeling where it's here one day and gone the next. It's deeper than that. The God who created you understands the longings that are deep within our hearts. But these longings can never be fulfilled by just trying to fill your bucket with these temporal things. Because these temporal things will always miss. They're good for a moment, but then they're elusive. Because God created us in a way where there's actually eternity in our hearts. And that really then is the only thing that will fulfill us. Which, because this gift of God, which comes then through Jesus, that's what is able to give us true happiness. I love this contrast between Solomon and Jesus. We look at Jesus' word, we're looking at Solomon's words. Because Solomon is saying, don't do this. Don't do it the way I did because that's only going to lead you to habel, meaningless, just the kind of the running after trying to catch the wind. That's what Solomon is, is, is describing here. But Jesus says, live my life. Let my life live through you because I came, Jesus says, that you might have life abundantly and that you might have it to the full. And so Jesus is saying, do it my way here. Solomon's saying, don't do it my way. It doesn't work here. Solomon was a king who experienced every pleasure his eyes desired. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10 says, everything I wanted I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task. My reward to myself for a hard day's work. And so Psalm's admitting, Solomon's saying, I, I experienced every pleasure my eyes desired. And yet he's describing how he lived in just a very empty life. It was empty. It was habel. It was meaningless. Jesus is also a king. But Jesus emptied himself of everything. Look at the contrast. Solomon experienced everything, every pleasure his eyes desired. He experienced it. As a result, he lived an empty life. Jesus emptied his life of everything. Philippians 2 verse 5, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself being by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now look and see the difference here. Solomon experienced every pleasure, and as a result, he was empty. Jesus emptied himself of everything, and as a result, he experienced true exaltation. Here's the thing, everybody. 
when you fully give your life to Jesus in a crazy sort of way, his life takes over your life. His joy comes into your, your heart. His way of living it takes over. And as a result, you begin to experience and find this happiness in your soul that is deeper than your circumstances, that's deeper than your failures, it's deeper than your successes, it's deeper than what just this moment is that you're going through right now. Because now it's Jesus living through you in a deeper sort of way. Now, maybe you're starting to think, well, what does that mean that I'm always going to be happy? Does that mean that I'm always going to live on cloud nine? I mean, is that how it's supposed to do? Does God just automatically just kind of paste a smile on our, on our face and you wake up every morning just smiling and have a joy in your heart? I mean, is, this, is that what he's talking about here? Well, that, that, well, no, that's not what we're talking about here because unhappiness is not wrong. You're still going to experience unhappy situations. Jesus himself said in his life you're going to have difficulty. There are difficulties and there's challenges. And so God doesn't just paste you know, and paint a smile on your face and tells you, just pretend like everything's okay. No, no, no. Your unhappiness is not wrong, but staying in that place of unhappiness is what becomes wrong because that's not what Jesus gave his life for. And so the question becomes, well, then how can I experience this Jesus kind of happiness? And that's what I want to talk with you here over these next few minutes. Number one, look at this. We need to acknowledge the influence that happiness has on your identity. You got to start there. You got to actually acknowledge the influence that happiness is having on your identity. You have to be able to see how happiness or the lack thereof actually affects you. Because the reality is, for every single one of us, left to our own emotions, left to our own thoughts, if you have success, then it's going to pump you up. And it's going to affect how you feel about yourself. But if you fail, it'll pull you into this kind of downward spiral, and it affects how you feel about yourself. If someone says something nice about you and what you're doing, then you feel good about yourself, right? It feels good to be liked and to be appreciated, and so you feel like you're on top of the world. But if someone says something harsh to you or rejects you, then what happens is it, it devastates you and that pulls you into those dumps, which means we have to be able to see it. We have to be able to see how happiness or really the lack thereof is affecting our days and how our days affect our weeks and how our weeks affect our years, which then ultimately is affecting our identity. You got to see it. You got to see it for what it is because we need to understand this way of happiness is fleeting. I mean, do you see it? I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? Where one day, I mean, you just feel really happy and everything's going great. But you can literally wake up the next day and hear something or something does something and boy, it just pulls you into the dumps. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? Or am I just talking to myself here today? Isn't, isn't it interesting how quickly it turns? You can be happy in one moment and the next you can be in the, the depths of depression. That's why happiness is just a poor identifier to who you really are. And you got to understand it. Happiness is a poor identifier to who you really are. And that's why our identity can't be attached to happiness. Because happiness tells you that when things are good, then you're great, you're awesome, you're the man. But when things are not going well, then happiness will tell you that you're not worthy. You're not going to make it. You're no good. No one likes you. And so happiness, happiness will tell you that you're worse than you really are. And happiness will tell you that you're better than what you really are. Come on, think about it. 
That's why it's such a poor identifier. It's a terrible guide. Happiness is a terrible guide for you in moving through this life. And so that's why we have to understand that real, true happiness is not the pursuit of happiness. It's not the pursuit of things, but it's actually the pursuit of a person, and that person's name is Jesus, which means this. The more you pursue Jesus, the more joy you'll have in your heart. And the more happiness than you'll be able then to walk into. Here's number two. You have to be willing to confront your unhappiness. You have to be willing to confront your unhappiness. Now, how many of you have ever stepped in dog poop and you didn't realize that you had done it? Any of you do that before? You start getting this whiff, you know what I'm talking about? You start smelling it. You're trying to figure out where it's coming from. You're walking around the house. All the while, it's on your shoe. And so now, it's in the hallway. Now, it's on your stairs. Now, it's on your couch. Come on, anybody? This is the essence of what unhappiness is. It comes in subtly, and it gets in into your hallways and your couch and your furniture. It gets onto everything, and the smell is awful. Think of that smell of dog poop that's on your shoe and now in your house. That's how how unhappiness kind of works in our lives. It creeps in there. Now, I get it. A lot of us, we don't want to be confrontational. But you have to be confrontational when it comes to unhappiness. You have to be willing to see what it is and say, no, (laughs) no, you can't stay here. No, you can't affect my life this way, which means all of this starts with your thoughts, doesn't it? That's where it starts. It starts right here in, in your thoughts. And so we have to confront our thoughts because to, it's so easy to let our, our, our thoughts wander. It's so easy to let your thoughts dictate your state of mind. If I just had this, if I just could do this, if I was just there... If this circumstance was different, if this situation was different, then I'd really be happy. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, everybody? It's so easy to let our heart and our, our thoughts dictate that. And so that's what you've got to confront. You've got to confront your thoughts. You've got to confront your thoughts of entitlement. You've got to confront your thoughts of, of unmet expectation. The Apostle Paul, he says it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Look what he says. Yeah, actually take captive your thoughts. And so what does that mean? How do you, what does it mean to take captive your thoughts? Well, it simply means getting control of what you think about yourself and what you think about your life. So instead of just letting your thoughts grab onto whatever, you actually have to grab a hold of your thoughts and, and control them and what you think about yourself and what you think about others, which is why what you put into your mind really affects how you think. Now, if any of you ever, when you're younger, watched scary movies, most of us ended up running to our parents' bedroom because of nightmares, right? I think our parents, and I think maybe even us, we began to realize if you don't have nightmares, you want to stop and you want to avoid nightmares, you change what you look at. You change the movies that, that you are watching. And that's just the same thing with our thought life. you got to take charge of what you allow to linger then in your thoughts, which is why 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 is so important because Paul says this to Timothy, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Contentment, everybody. Contentment. A foreign concept, isn't it, in our modern-day culture? Contentment. But this is what he says. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so instead of letting my discontented thoughts dictate my state of mind and my state of happiness and how I see myself and how I see life, I've actually got to confront those thoughts of unhappiness head on. Here's number three, and that is you need to focus on the practical choices that produce Jesus's kind of happiness. We actually have to focus on some very practical things. I'll talk to him in just a second. And here's the thing, because I, I mean, I don't feel like I'm an expert at this by any sort of the imagination. But my entire adult life, all I've done is, is work with people and pastor people. And, and so what I've observed is this. The happiest people I know make it less about themselves. Think about that. For me, that's, what I, that's how my observation. The happiest people I know make it less about themselves. The happiest people I know live their lives to help other people be happy. They're not just thinking about themselves. Now, your response may be, well, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand what I am going through. You don't understand the difficulty I'm in. You don't understand how messed up my life is. I mean, how in the world can I help somebody else? Here's one of the most profound things I can tell you, and that is there's always somebody more messed up than you are. Come on. There's always somebody more messed up than you are. And so if you're feeling messed up, or you're feeling like your life is in a shamble, there is this incredible secret of when you give of yourself, when you empty of yourself, and you actually help somebody, boy, it changes your state of mind. And you're stepping into something very practical that God has for us because you're learning how to give your life away and not just making life about yourself. So let me use some practical ways to do that first. Stop complaining and blaming your unhappiness on someone else. Oh, that one hurt, didn't it? Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor now he's talking about you. Come on, turn to your neighbor. He's talking about you. Stop complaining and blaming your unhappiness on someone else. Here's the thing, I get it, and don't mishear what I'm saying here, because I understand your mom, your dad, your boss, your neighbor, you know, your mother-in-law, your in-laws, your outlaws, whatever it is, have affected, they have an effect on our life, Right? And some of you have experienced horrific trauma and horrific difficulty, but there comes a point where you can't allow them to dictate your happiness. You can't control what, happen, what happens to you, okay? It, it happens, but now you can control your response. You need to take back control here. So stop blaming others for your unhappiness. Take responsibility for your own thoughts and your emotions. Don't let some, somebody else control your happiness. In other words, Love yourself enough. Love yourself enough to no longer be continually victimized by what other people have done to you. Here's the second thing. Make gratitude part of your daily routine. Just make gratitude a part of your daily routine. Have any of you seen the TV series Anna Green Gables? It was a bunch of years ago, and now the new one, Anne with an E, is, is on, um, was it Netflix or Hulu or what? Netflix, is that what it is? Madison's home, our, one of our daughters is home, and, and she never saw the first one, Anna Green Gables. Anybody have seen the Anna Green Gables? Or, and, fam, by the way, it's, a, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's, a, it's so fun. It's such a family-oriented um, series, quirky little orphan girl, quick-witted, um, sharp, um, funny as all get out, innocence, just uh, galore. It's, just, it's a funny, it's a fun, a funny um, um, uh, family-oriented series. Well, Madison had never seen the original one, so the newer one is on Anne with an E. And so we've been watching it here, and it's the story of this orphan girl that mistakenly gets 
adopted, or they're trying to see if they're going to adopt her, this uh, older brother and sister that are getting on, along in life. And they originally wanted to adopt a boy, and there was a mistake. They delivered a girl, which was, they were not expecting. So they wanted to give her back because this is not what we want. We need help with the farm work. This is way back, I don't know what year, 1800s or something like that, something. Anyway, and so, and so they go through this whole thing trying to figure out if they're going to keep her or not. And she's devastated when she finds out that they, did, they didn't really want her. They wanted a boy. And, and so they go back and forth. Well, in, well, in the first episode, so Anne's just an orphan. She's never experienced much, much of life. And Marilla's trying to get her ready for bed. And Marilla, the, you know, this, this older lady, who's the sister, Marilla and Matthew, a brother and sister combo. Marilla's trying to say, we can't just go to bed. You've got to say your prayers. Well, Anne doesn't know how to pray. And so instantly she goes, well, I don't know, I don't know, how, how, how do you pray? And Marilla's kind of, you know, she has not a lot, a lot of patience with Anne. And, and so finally she just simply says this, thank God for your blessings and ask him humbly for the things you want. Now, here's the thing. Incredibly simplistic, right? She's trying to teach Anne how to pray. But you know what, I, when, I, when I heard that again as we're watching this, I thought, you know what, that's incredibly powerful powerful. Thank God for your blessings, and then just humbly ask God for the things you want. Because I think for some reason in our lives, and maybe I'm just talking to myself, I think it's easy to forget just to thank God for your blessings. Boy, can we get distracted in all the problems and all the issues and all the difficulty and all the messes, can't we? But think of what could happen if you would just daily, with daily gratitude, Thanking God for how he has blessed you. Think about how that will shift and turn your thoughts from entitlement, upset, being angry about all the things that are around you, and actually something happens. Your thoughts begin to change just simply by this very simple thing, by giving daily gratitude, being, daily being, being thankful for what God has given you. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, Beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Look what Paul says, because he's saying when we fix our eyes on these things, when we keep our thoughts fixed on those things, God promises to give you peace. It's a shift in what's happening in our thoughts and our emotions. That's why making gratitude a part of your daily routine is such a powerful thing. Here's a third thing, and that is choose to generously serve and bless others without expectation of return. Just getting that mode of generously serving and blessing others without expectation of return. Francis Chan, in his book Letters to the Church, he says it this way. He said, God wants you to resemble his son, especially when you gather with your church family. Do you show up to gatherings looking to serve? As some of you hear that question, you feel burdened, like a weight was just placed on you. You already have, live a busy life, and you want the church gathering to be a place of rest where you can be fed. If you think that sitting back and letting the church staff feed you will bring you the most fulfillment, you are wrong. God promised that those who give will be most blessed. Takers are the most miserable people on earth. It is our inability to take our eyes off ourselves and put them on others that destroys us. This is what Jesus saves us from. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. The most humble people are typically the happiest. 
This is what Jesus was talking about, right, in, in Matthew chapter 5. And so just begin to serve others. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, just begin to serve each other without expectation of, uh, on it. Just, just serve. And then here's the fourth thing, and that is surround yourself with people who share these values. So surround yourself with people who actually share these values. The reality, the reality, I think, for every single one of us is that we all need these life-giving relationships that will help reinforce these values. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. <laughs> I think if parents, if you know the Bible, you probably use this verse on your kids, right? <laughs> but the reality doesn't change for seasons of life. It affects every single one of us. And so if you hang around unhappy people, if you hang around depressed people, if you hang around ungrateful people, if you hang around people that are just always complaining, it's going to rub off on you. It's going to rub off on you. And until so you're going to then start being that unhappy person. You're going to start being that, un, that depressed, ungrateful, complaining person. That's why every one of us, we need to surround ourselves with people that will help us into these values. Hang around people that will help you laugh. One of the things that Courtney and I have talked about probably for, for 26 years of our marriage is that we look for people who will help us laugh. Because life can be very serious. My, my, my daughter loves watching dramas on, on TV. I can't stand it because I have enough drama around me. <laughs> you know, give me action or give me comedy, one of the two, but I, I need no more drama in it. And so we value people in our life who will just have fun, you know, who, who will play games and just laugh. We, we all need that. Actually, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says, a merry heart does good like what? Medicine. Medicine. Isn't that interesting? That laughter is one of the best things for you. I just think this is so important for us to understand. Wasn't it good just to laugh just a little bit in church? I, I, I had to include the last part of the video because I, I figured some of you were thinking, why in the world are we watching comedy in church today? I just wanted to get you to laugh just a little bit, to lift you up from whatever it is you're going through because the reality is laughter is like a good medicine. If you would, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please, because I want to pray for you here today. And all the things maybe that you're going through, and, and maybe as we've talked about this, maybe you're realizing just the effect that happiness, or really the lack of happiness, is having on your life. And maybe you're even beginning to realize it's just kind of gotten into your identity, um, and, uh, and it's just kind of misplaced in all of this. And, and so, Father, I pray for every single one of us. Lord, in all the different situations that we're facing, Lord, in all the different things that are going through um, in our lives, the things, the confusion, the uncertainty, the challenges, the struggles that we're facing, Lord, I just, I pray, Father, for your spirit of wisdom, your spirit of revelation, just to begin to work inside of our hearts, your spirit of truth that will expose even the lies of these different thoughts and emotions. And, and Lord, I pray that even as Solomon is trying to help us understand life from your perspective, Lord, I pray that we would even see it. Lord, that we would see maybe where we've been putting our bucket in, hoping that we get something out that's going to satisfy us. Father, would you expose that for us even here? Would you show us maybe where we've been putting our bucket in in those wrong places, expecting, expecting it to satisfy us. 
Maybe you just, you just need to tweak us just a little bit, God, where we kind of gotten our focus off. We kind of got our hope off. We've kind of put our faith in the wrong place, and we're searching, trying to, to maybe get happiness and fulfillment out of these different things. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just reorient us here today. Lord, that as you have put eternity into our hearts, Father, that you would stir that in us, and even as um, Solomon described, they would experience just the vanity of life, knowing and maybe knowing again that all these other things are just don't satisfy. Maybe here today, maybe that's the thing. Maybe the, even the reason why you're here today is because you've been pursuing other stuff. Maybe you're like Solomon and you just haven't denied yourself. You're letting yourself just Whatever pleasure your eyes see, you just, you just take. But maybe here in this moment, maybe here, God's just kind of stirring in you, and you're, you're having this kind of aha moment that that just doesn't satisfy. It's just not satisfying. It just keeps leave you, leaving you lacking. It keeps leaving you wanting. Would you just here in this moment, would you just reorient? Would you recalculate? Maybe you never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to do it new today. Would you just right there where you are, just say, Jesus, would you take control of my life again? Just afresh and anew. Would you reorient our focus here? Would you reorient my focus here today? Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. Have a great week.